Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Provincial State of Mind with myself, Jeff Neville, Tom Savage and Owen Harrison. Good to see you all back again, folks. Had a nice Christmas. Owen, I heard that you were walking around the kitchen just commentating and stuff on Stephen's Day because you had no rugby to watch. I had no rugby to watch. I was commentating on how to make the sandwiches and the leftover sprouts and, and potatoes being reheated. Um, yeah, lovely, quiet family Christmas. Um, no, no rugby to look at, really. Got to watch some of the Premiership games um, at the weekend, but obviously not a lot of URC games out there. Um, but it was a lovely Christmas. Were your sandwiches as good as you uh, promised they would be pre-Christmas, Jeff? Yeah, they were actually, to be honest. They weren't as good as this podcast, but I mean, I had to fill the day somehow. So rather than watching rugby, I just ate sandwich after sandwich until I hated myself. Tom, how did you fill the week? Uh, well, it was difficult coming up to St. Stephen's Day because when you're trying to convince people that what you do is a real job and, and then there's no rugby it's kind of it's difficult you know you're kind of going outside oh yeah you really do that yeah yeah no it was good though uh i kind of ate way too much i, I did a kind of a job on pretty much three quarters of a box of those lint door ones you know those mint ones oh the, the, the red ones the red ball no, the, the, the green ones the relatively big oh, ones and I, I kind of felt fancy. at the time well yeah no I'm, I'm a fancy dude but i was thinking like that you know this is a pretty good way you know when you're in the middle of it you're thinking that this is brilliant but then the, just the kind of just a heavy regret afterwards. It's just, yeah, it was, it's never worth it. Um, oh, but then I did, I did the same thing. I would one of those big one kg bag of pick and mix jellies. Um, oh, oh, nice. Maybe they should, they should try and sponsor this podcast actually. Cause I'm just going to keep just, horrible. just name dropping deep. Not, not even horrible. I think what are they called? I'm not even going to name them. They wait till they pay, but you can, you can get one <laughs> kg bags of these pick and mix things. And I just went to town on these and I'm just the size of a house now. Just, you get, you get to the just, point though, don't you? Where you're just like, you're about halfway through the bag and you haven't even really, you haven't even tasted them. Do you know what I mean? You're just mindlessly putting them into your mouth and then you go to yourself, someone's after eating all my jellies, where are they gone? Do you know? Yeah. <laughs> you think people who listen to this now will figure it out that there's not that much rugby to talk about. I think the people who listen to this have already regretted tuning in. But uh, before we actually lose everyone altogether, I guess we'll jump into the rugby that is to come. So in the ever-changing landscape, as everybody is aware, there's games been cancelled again for the or postponed, I should say, for the for the weekend coming up. But we do have one game uh, provincially that we are going to look at in a little while. And it's actually lucky enough that it's the first team on our alphabet list, which is Connacht, the same as every week. So Connacht at home to Munster this weekend. I don't know about you two, but after the previous game um, between the two, that was a very spicy affair in Thoman Park. I'm very much looking forward to seeing how Connacht go in the sports ground heading up to this. Now, at the time of recording, all systems are go and we're expecting the game to go ahead. Owen, what are you you looking forward to seeing from Connacht this weekend? Well, first of all, I'm looking forward just to seeing some actual rugby. Uh, involving Irish provinces. I think that'll be a, a bit of a treat after the last couple of weeks. Um, I think Connacht are, from what I understand, I think their, their biggest sort of um, loss this week is likely to be Jack Carty. So I don't think he's actually available to play. So I think that puts a lot of pressure on them. They've had um, Fitzgerald, who's been sort of their, their backup. Carty has started all the games for Connacht so far. Um, and Fitzgerald has been sort of the guy off the bench late on in the games. Um, and he has taken on that role when he when he has come on, when they've been chasing games, he's played a quite open game. He hasn't necessarily controlled it the same way that Carty has. And I think it'll be asking quite a lot of him 
to step up from the from the offset and try and control the games if they if they do go with him and put a, a, a sort of a, a shape around their play. Um, I think they have Mac Hansen back, which you know is a huge positive for them. Um, and I think similar to how we've talked about this over the last few weeks, Connacht are going to have to sort of um, work against Munster's power play up front. They're going to have to sort of look to pin in the malls and try and stop them at source or go up as they have done over the last few games in terms of sort of uh, competing in the air more so than on the ground and try and stop that. Um, and then I think um, they will look to continue on with their sort of strike plays um, and playing on the game line as much as possible, bringing the, the sort of the runners into play and, and playing a very mobile game with their, with their pack and their backs. Yeah, the first thing you mentioned there actually is a is a is a funny one. The fact that uh, they'll probably be missing Carty and obviously Munster will be missing Carberry. And while it will technically be, I suppose, both second choice tens, I think Munster are going to be slightly ahead in terms of the ten battle. With uh, it's I assume no teams haven't been named yet, like, but I assume it's going to be Healy starting at ten. Like he's a lot of experience. Like he's won games. He he knows what needs to be done. Uh, in terms of Mac Hansen coming back, I couldn't agree with you more. I feel like, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we were chatting about that kind of playmaking role that James Lowe has for Connacht. I feel he has that for, or, sorry, for Leinster. I feel Mac Hansen has that for Connacht as well. He gets through an awful amount of work and his stats for the season prove it. But I think the biggest thing that Connacht are going to have to do, and it's something that Tom will probably pick up on here now in a minute, and I'm going to mention his favourite word and we're going to see his light, his eyes light up now in a second, but they have to win the collisions first off. And if they're not doing that, there's Tom's eyes now, yeah. Uh, but if they're not doing that, then I don't. I don't think they're going to actually get very far in the game. Um, we saw we saw in the last couple of games before between Munster and Connacht, be it in the sports ground or be it in Tomond, like they're very very spicy affairs, and it's it's thirty fellas looking to climb into each other for the eighty minutes. And the last couple of games have been very very close. Like I mean, if we look back at the last one in Tomond Park. I think there was like a score between the teams at the end. I uh, was a 2018. I don't know where I'm pulling that scoreline out of, but I think it was something around that. Um, but I think if Connacht aren't fronting up in the pack, I think that's, and uh, like people say that, you know, forwards win games, but like in a game like this, I do think that Connacht have to win the collisions. And if they're not, they're going to struggle, regardless of how good their lineout is. Like they went 19 out of 19 in the game there not so long ago. In the lineups, they have a very good scrum, but just around the pitch, be it in rucks, malls, being in their tackles, being in their running lines, if they're not winning those collisions, I don't think they're going to get very far. Um, Tom, I've probably taken your favourite word there and used it before you got a chance to use that buzzword, but what do you think Connacht need to do this weekend to see a win at home against Munster? Win the collisions. <laughs> win the collisions that they, that, that they want to win. Uh, they don't have to play a massive grind game offensively to, to be monster like i think when, when connacht play well they do so like by playing on their terms mostly so that like they play a lot of transition ball which isn't you know just looking to counterattack everything they love playing in a kind of a in, a in a broken up game where i think what doesn't suit connacht is extended kind of either attacking or defensive sequences where they have to create against a set defense uh, i think what they love doing is kicking long getting into those kind of little half transitions where the game is kind of disrupted and, you know, it's broken up a little bit. They like that. I know, you know, playing in broken field or whatever else, but they're, they're really good 
um, at, at, at those moments and playing in those first couple of phases after the line out or the scrum. They're always very effective there. So like for, for Connacht, like that's kind of what they have to do. And look, this is a massively spiteful game. Like you look at the, the, the last couple of games have been really, really tight, really kind of played with that edge of the, of that, like that, that niggle in these games that, that just make it very, very entertaining to watch and difficult to cover on social media afterwards and during, but like you look at the, the, what, what Connacht have to do. And like, if they're without Jack Carty, as I'm not sure if that's fully confirmed, I wouldn't be surprised to see him feature anyway, or to be at least named in the team. But like I, I look at at Connacht without Jack Carty, and what Jack Carty brings to Connacht is unique. In that you could probably look to slot in a lot of other guys into the other provinces, and they'll give you more or less the same thing. But Jack Carty's skill set and, and what he brings to Connacht is is really unique. And he's unique, I think, in on the island of Ireland, actually, for what he's able to bring. And the more Connacht work to what Jack Carty is good at, I think the better they do. But collisions are the big thing for Connacht. If they want to try and win this game, like they've got to try and play with the pace and tempo that that they're you know that they're good at playing. But I think Munster will look to really go really, really. I think Munster are going to go big in this game. They're going to look to try and select as big a pack as they can. And make a try and make it really slow and nasty around the breakdown. I think the breakdown in this game is going to be a wood chipper, uh, and I think that whoever manages to to slow up the other team the most there, like you look at Leinster the last time they played Connacht, uh, and I think that Connacht started really well, but the collision started to tell after a while, and you could see Connacht start to their effectiveness start to dip, and they were looking for higher, higher or like lower percentage plays rather to try and you know try and get out and around Leinster. It didn't work. And I think if, if Munster are going to try and be successful here, they're going to have to try and deny that from Connacht. Because if you, if you start playing Connacht and they get into a flow, the Ospreys will tell you, they'll blow you away and like and, and they'll keep coming. And like it, it's very hard to get that momentum back. So like for, for Connacht, that'll be the key uh, aggression at the breakdown. And if they can get purchased there, it'll be a very tough game for Munster and it'll be very, very tight. Connacht are coming off the back of a loss against Leicester. And I know it's two different competitions, don't get me wrong, but from chatting to Connacht players throughout the last couple of weeks, they've been saying that it's definitely one that got away. And I know I mentioned that in last week's podcast as well, but like just, just chatting to them, you know, again this week and chatting to various players, like I think that they will relish this game against Munster because probably they'll view the one in Tolman Park as one that got away. They now have a game there, the last game they played against Leicester, one that got away. That's what they deem it as. So like, I think now coming into this game against Munster, they'll deem it as a way of saying, right, well, now we're going to get our season back on track. It's not going to be one that's going to get away. And I think an important part of Connacht or an important part for Connacht is going to be finding a way to win these games. Like that's what good teams do. That's, that's what the very good teams do is when your back's against the wall, when you're a, only a point up with 20 minutes to go or when you're two points down with 10 to go or whatever it may be, it's finding and digging out a way by hook or by crook a way to win these games. But um, we, in, in regards to Connacht's season so far, Owen, how have you seen their progression towards silverware or how do you think they're going so far in this season? Well, I, I think they're actually in a, in a very much a transition period. And I think if if you look at it, it's it's a transition period within sort of Andy Friend um, sort of tenure. And I think it's almost he's gone from the first phase of being sort of head coach. And I think from the little bits that I've heard and from seen from uh, people, it's been that he's now moving 
into that more sort of director of rugby and he's giving more sort of authority to those coaches underneath him to do their thing. And I think he's looking at a, a bigger picture. I think that sort of lends itself in terms of where Connacht are with their player pool. They gave last season, they gave a lot of one-year contracts out and I think they, they have a lot of big decisions to make. I think they, there's a vast majority of the, the squad are actually coming up for recontracting um, at this point. And I think they're in a, Andy Friend is in a, a sort of a, I suppose, a, a, a fork in the road and he has to choose what way he goes down it. And it, as sort of we talked about here, once you're up against a team or bigger teams than them, you look at the Tigers and Leinster, etc. they have to decide, are you going to meet sort of fire with fire? Or are you going to try and go um, attack it in a different way? And I think this will come down to what the match um, against Munster will come down to what they want to do. Are they going to try and put in the likes of Fafita into the second row? Are they going to try that new prop um, to Amaga? I've probably butchered that name completely but like you know they brought a lot of solidity when they came on against Leicester and I think the team that friend selects for the Munster game because I like Tom I expect Munster to go quite big in, in this and put out pretty much their first team and maybe a, a couple of sort of one or two changes into it but I would expect it and they should hopefully have a bit more cohesion from the cast game as they're now back in training but I think the last time that I think potentially Connacht didn't play to their potential was was against Dragons, which they lost at home. I think that was the that was the big one for them. That's a disappointing loss for them. They fought it out against Munster, you know, 2018 in Holman Park. That was it was good. They they beat Ulster 38-11 then in, in the Aviva, went out. Um they won at home then to the Ospreys. Okay, the Leinster game got away from them, but you're going to have to expect that against much bigger packs. You know, and when they are physically dominated, they won a, again uh, in the Champions Cup. A good win against Stade Francais. And, you know, getting a losing bonus point against the Tigers, as we've seen, you know, with their premiership form, is not a bad result when you're going away to Welford Road. So I think they're actually playing to, a, to the right level. But it's what Andy Friend needs to do now in terms of how he's shaping his team, both for the rest of this season and for next season. That's going to tell an awful lot. So, Owen, how would you see the game at the weekend going? Kind of the Munster coming out on top. Um, I think I'm going to go with an away win and maybe that's my sort of heart speaking more than my head but I think um, Munster if they can get on top in things like the mall would cause Connacht an awful lot of problems if they can sort of win their own throws and get that um, it's going to it's going to cause and has caused Connacht a lot and as Tom said collisions are there if Munster go big and put out their first choice team I, th- I think they, they have the they have the weapons to, to hurt Connacht over the longer period and to, to sneak a, a, a way win. Tom, what are you going for? Uh, I'd be kind of thinking the same thing. Uh, I, I think, again, it depends on how well Munster go. I think the lineup is going to be a massive factor in this game. I think if uh, Munster have the... And, and if you look at the Leinster game that, that Connacht lost recently fairly comprehensively, line-out and maw was a big factor in that. I think if Munster can duplicate that... I think they're going to go very heavy in that pack. I think you might even see a tight burn in the back row at some stage, uh, and and try to go as plays as you know play play big. Um, that could be difficult for Connacht to overcome. But I I think it a lot of it depends on Jack Carty's availability as well. I think if Jack Carty starts and plays most of the game, this could be quite tight. Uh, if it's Connor Fitzgerald, good player, 
but I think that Munster would look to try and win, would definitely be capable of winning that game then maybe slightly more comfortably but again it's not going to be easy at all at the sports ground they're going to go on a narrow away win I'd say Well I'm going to probably go against my heart and against both of you and I'm going to say I think Connacht are just in the right place of the season and I know Munster are coming off the back the two European wins don't get me wrong but I think with Connacht they've been the least really affected um, maybe along with Ulster in, in regards to COVID and everything like that they have kind of good continuity they know how to win in the sports ground um, I, they have a, a very good set piece and their line out is very very good um, which is huge at this level so I'm going to do you know what I'm going to go for it I'm going to get off the fence I'm going to say it's going to be a home Connacht win God forgive me but here we are right we'll move on and we'll forget I ever said that so moving on to um, Leinster so again no game last weekend and as of today no game next weekend it's must be incredibly tough for these players who like you have guys like your Tyg Furlongs and you have guys like your Andrew Porters and they're not only you know they don't only have their place for Leinster they have their place pretty much nailed on for Ireland but then you have guys like Ryan Bard or you know like we mentioned Scott Penny last week he, he's barely getting a run if even like it must be so tough for them you know to see these games kind of slip by and you know, even even like Finley Bealham now for Connacht. I know last week the Connacht game was uh, was postponed along with the other Interpros, but like Con- last week was Finley Bealham's um, rotation week or bye week, whatever way you want to put it. Like he wasn't into play last week. So, I mean, you have guys coming up there filling that gap and, you know, you have these games getting postponed over and over. That's also somebody's rotational week getting pulled as well. So, like, I mean, now I don't know. I don't know when Tyg Furlong's rotational week is or whatever. Don't get me wrong, but like, I mean, if it was this week, suddenly you've Alatoa starting and you have a third choice prop on the on the bench, like who's going to get a run, going to get a chance to shine. You might even start the game. I don't know. But, you know, it's it's not it's not only that the game's been postponed. It's also that these these rotational weeks are also happening. Like they're not going to get carried over. You know, they're not going to say, well, like you didn't play this game, but that game didn't happen anyway. So you get, you know, you have to miss another game. Like they, they've been given a week's rest. So that's done. So. It's 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 a massive input this way, but looking at Leinster's season as a whole, I think it's fair to say, and I'll jump to you first, Tom. I think it's fair to say while it's been a good start, and you know, you could I think when it comes to Montpellier, that's by the by, like that's you know, you they weren't on the pitch, so you can't really talk about that. But I think when it comes to Leinster's season so far, I think it's fair to say that while they've been good, they haven't hit the heights that they've hit in the last couple of years. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I think a lot of that is to do with uh, Jonathan Sexton not being as available for them as as maybe he and and they would like. Uh, when he was playing for them at the start of the season, I think against Bulls, he was hugely effective. And you know, he, again, he's you can't you can't really overstate just how good Johnny Sexton is, and how any team would be. I don't want to say less than, but not as effective when he's not playing for them. Uh, and I think that you look at their front row, best for me, front, best front row in the world when it comes to what they can do offensively on ball during phase play. Scrum, I, I, I think, needs to be, it's got big examinations coming, I think, in, in the, the Six Nations, certainly. But they've got a world-class front row. They've got re- a really good team in general. But I think what Johnny Sexton brings is all of that together. And I think that, you know, when you look at, when, you, when you've seen him this season and you've seen him, like you've said there, doing well playing good but 
something seems to be off from what you would expect from Leinster. I mean, maybe we've got too high expectations, you know, where you expect Leinster are just going to run through everybody, bar maybe the top one or two, te- you know, one or two teams in, in, in Europe or whatever it is. But yeah, no, I like, I, I think that that plays a large factor in it. Uh, they also miss a lot of guys going up and down to the Ar- Ar- Ireland camp and coming back to a slightly different system as well. That's always going to be, a, you know, it's going to be costly to your cohesion and everything else. So look, I I think that they certainly look very formidable this year. I'd be very surprised to not you know to, to see them one not win the URC. I'd be very surprised to go with Europe. It's kind of out of their hands now. You know, I think if if they if that five nil sticks for you know for the the Montpellier game, it's probably no knockout stages at the Champions Cup for Leinster this year. I mean, more than likely, if you look at it, you look at last season, uh, teams who lost one game. Like that, they were in the Challenge Cup, and look, I'm sure Leinster would do uh, make a good fist of that, but that's not where they want to be. But it's kind of out of their hands now. There's nothing they can do about that. So, it, like you said, there, it, it makes it a bit difficult now for rotation going forward because I think if they're out of Europe, uh, I think that they'll be able to make up the rest of those minutes for those guys, the, the fellas who haven't been playing in the Challenge Cup, if if that's what they're in, um, and then the URC. I think is going to get very tight very quick. Uh, I think that we haven't even seen the half of what's going to happen in this Irish Shield. Uh, I think it's going to get very, very tight. That will put a lot of pressure on selection for uh, regular season games later in the year. Uh, hopefully, because if COVID starts to calm down a small bit, we might have uh, a really, really tight running, um, especially in the Irish Shield. It's going to be very, very difficult. And again, there'll be selection pressure will come on where younger players who haven't been playing we look to try and come in because you don't want to have lads holding tackle bags for, you know, basically the, the entire season. So that's going to be a big challenge for Leinster to make sure they're getting those guys proper minutes on top of the big usage that Ireland are going to have out of Porter, Kelleher, Furlong, probably Dan Sheehan, James Ryan, Caelan Doris, Josh Vanderfleer, Jack Conan, Johnny Sexton, Gibson Park. This is all going to take a big toll on Leinster as well. So there's a bit of management to be done there and it's going to be a tough kind of juggle more so than I think they've had over the last number of, 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 of seasons. But that's kind of the cost that comes with being at the moment, the chief supplier of players to the Irish national team. Oh, and yeah. Tom, and I think Tom, oh, sorry, yeah, sorry, ahead. sorry, Jeff. Uh, I was just going to say on that, I think the rescheduling of the games is going to be key, particularly in, in, for the, you, for the URC, because I think the way it's going now is, you know, they, they're, they've obviously lost out on the Ulster game now as well. They're going into, who knows what in terms of sort of the rounds three and four of Europe, you know, if, if they get played or whatever happens with those. And I think what they're looking at then is you're looking at whatever happens, you're looking at reschedule games, potentially maybe during the six nations. So there's going to be anything that comes in the lead up. You're going to have pressure on to try and get your Irish um, internationals up to speed before the six nations. Then you've got a case of where we we've seen already, I think where, they haven't been able to integrate and get the same game time as they would normally do in seasons past with the international windows. And they've, they've managed that so well in, in the last few seasons, but the change of format has left them. I think if the URC games actually go into a six nation sort of a window and you're not able to mix in the first choice internationals, it could leave them being very exposed because they, they won't necessarily have the same strength and depth or the same time, um, minutes under their belt. And they could be very exposed in things in, in the Irish Shield, as you talked about there, that could leave them being, I suppose, 
more vulnerable than they would have been traditionally against the, the sort of the mid to the uh, lower ranked teams. So, Owen, come here to me a sec. Oh, Tom said it there a second ago that we have too high expectations of Leinster. Um, like when you when you look at their their season so far, they put thirty one points on the Bulls. We'll ignore the Dragons game. They won it in the end, but it was a very low scoring game. They put forty three points on Zebra, fifty on Scarlets, thirty one on Glasgow. They lose to Ulster. They come back then and put forty seven on Connacht, forty five on Bath, and then there was that Montpellier game, the Munster game, and now the Ulster game that's been postponed. So we we won't talk about those three, but. I mean, those scorelines, I mean, you're looking at a game here like 47-19 against a team like Connacht that we said there just a couple of minutes ago that are a very, very good team. I mean, are, are our expectations too high for Leinster at the moment, do you reckon? Like, are, are we spoiled now having watched them in the last few seasons that we should think like, well, they should be blowing every team away by these points, but doing more on top of that? I, I think it's, it's more so that we're, we're not measuring them against those teams. So you're not measuring Leinster against the the Scarlets or Bath or even Connacht or you know you're you're measuring Leinster against the likes of La Rochelle or Toulouse or even Saracens etc. You're 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 measuring them against the absolute top tier in Europe, and for for Leinster they're in the pump their their expectation and the expectation on them is that they will either win or be very close to winning the URC or the Pro 14 or whatever the, the Celtic League is, is called or has been called, that they will be winning that year on year. Where they're, where they're measured is in the Champions Cup and can they win that? And like, honestly, they haven't, they haven't won that for what, three, four years now at this point. And they're, they're, they're looking at a situation where that's, that's their measuring stick. So like, all these things are, it's not so much about the score, it's about the performance and how are they progressing towards that. And I think there, there are certain points where they have moved their squad around. You talk about Porter moving over to Loosehead. You look at the emergence of Keller where they've strengthened. There are other things where they're they're still exposed. I think they're still exposed in the second row. And I think that they still haven't done anything to, to find a backup to, to Johnny Sexton. And, and to do that. And I think that's what people are starting to measure. Rather, it's the performances and how they're building the squad depth rather than necessarily just the, the result itself. Well, look, I mean, there's no Leinster game this weekend. That's been postponed. Um, the, that Ulster game has been postponed for later in the season. So we'll move on to our next team. Uh, Munster is the next one. They're playing Connacht this weekend. As we said, they're away to the sports ground. We've talked about what Connacht need to do in order to win the game. But Tom, I'll jump to you first. On the flip side of that, what do Munster need to do in order to win this game? Uh, I think what Munster need to do, and this is something that they've struggled with against Connacht recently, which is to get into a solid flow of momentum during a game, to score, and then to just keep building going forward, making this a game that Connacht don't want to play rather than ending up playing Connacht's game, which I think has happened a lot over the last couple of, 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 of seasons. Like You look at that Rainbow Cup game which remains the maddest I've been after a game in the last number of years. We're just like infuriated by that performance. Uh, and I think you look at Munster this week, Stephen Larkham spoke about how uh, that performance against Cass, they were actually very, very unhappy with that. Uh, what Munster need to do, and I think that selection will play a large part in this as well, uh, need to start physically dominating Connacht you look at the last number of, of, of games against Connacht and it's been a lot of parity there. And I think Munster would pride themselves on being teams that, that would win forward contests more often than not. 
Uh, and like you could say, for example, like that that game against Cast, a very tough, like physical pack in Cast. Munster won that won that confrontation, I think, on the whole. But against Connacht, they've just found it very difficult. Connacht have been very, very good at the defensive breakdown, very aggressive and physical in defence. Uh, Roll their luck at times, but I think that's something that 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 you need in every game, uh, especially when you're kind of giving up a size differential, which I think Connacht do most often than not. So I think for Munster here, it's about getting as big a side as they can on the field. Uh, and again, I think at times over the last few seasons, I think we've selected uh, Munster mind now. I've gone completely unprofessional here. <laughs> we, But I think you look at Munster, like they, those guys, have gone for, I think, up front anyway, looking to try and dominate the scrum from a technical perspective. Win penalties there, win momentum there. And I, I'm not sure, unless you've got decidedly better scrum, like, and again, I think for most teams, this is an, like, again, you could say, look, Connacht ran into trouble against Leicester, but Leicester are, they're a very specific beast with the, with the team they have available to them. Munster have tried to do that before, but it depends a lot on the referees, on, on the refereeing of the scrum in general. And I think physically, I think Munster just need to select as big a front five as possible here, physically and look to try and dominate those on-ball collisions outside the set-piece even. Set-piece has to be, that has to be set fine. But the physical confrontation has to be won here. Anytime you look at Connacht losing games badly, or games where they, they kind of just don't look at the races, it's where they don't get physical parity during phase play. Whatever about the set-piece, I think Munster will look to try and go as big as possible in the mall, certainly. But physically... I'd expect to go to, to see Munster look to try and go with maybe starting at Keenan Knox, maybe have a Roman Salanoa involved off the bench. Uh, Jason Jenkins, Jean Klain, Tyg Byrne, Gavin Coombs, and look to try to win those collisions and make it very difficult for Connacht to be without the ball. So, like again, I think the more you force Connacht to play with possession, the better you're going to be, I feel. But they're very good at winning back possession off you. You've got to make it very, very difficult for them to get their defensive breakdown game into action. Because if they do, it'll be a long day and it can be a very difficult day. So I, I think looking at it, I would expect Munster to go very, very big in the pack. And then again, look to try and play as much possession ball as possible. Because I think if they can start phasing up Connacht, I think there's going to be opportunities there, especially if they go for that big midfield of, of Delende and Farrell. There will be opportunities there, but... Again, it'll just depend on how well Munster are able to use that possession. And again, who's playing at nine? Again, I think there's a big difference between Conor Murray, just signed a new two-year deal with the IRFU, and Craig Casey. I think they offer two very different things. And I kind of, at the moment, would look at Craig Casey as being the guy who is closer to what Munster are building to from an attacking perspective. But we'll have to wait and see. New coaches coming in and everything like that. So we'll have to wait and see there. But for Munster, I think... What they need to do here is just play big, play very physical and make it very difficult for Connacht to, to kind of play their, their defensive breakdown game and, and look to try and build from there. Owen, from a Munster point of view now, you know, they had a good start to the season, four games in a row, all out to back, won each one in a row. They lost to the Ospreys. They go away then to South Africa, obviously those games postponed and that whole situation that we had there. They come back, they win against Wasps with a very young team. They change up that team against Cast. Then that game is postponed against Leinster and now they're going into a, a game against Connacht with probably a different team again. Do you think that much unsettlement is 
going to be to the detriment of Munster? Or do you think that they're going to be able to overcome that in order to beat Connacht, who are, let's face it, pretty settled in regard selection and continuity? I I think they're they're going to face challenges. Look, but I I think the the extra week may have in in terms of the, the Leinster game being postponed will will give them an opportunity. I think what they lacked against Cast was cohesion. Um, I thought some of the decision making and the ability to get to the rook and clear it out and ensure a clean quick ball just wasn't there. It was almost like they were they were just a split second off in their timing. At times, I think. And that, that's natural from a time when you're, what, seven, eight weeks without a game for most players. I think the fact that they will have, and not only seven or eight weeks without a game, for the vast majority of that time, they weren't even training together. So they they only had a couple of training sessions before the cast game to get everyone back on, on side. They only had a couple of contact sessions in, in that. So I think hopefully they can get a bit more cohesion around this and put it in. I think like what they what they need to do is to try and take Connacht out of it. They don't want to, as Thomas said, you don't want to be playing Connacht's game and, and being forced into that. They need to build the scoreboard, I think, early um, and sort of keep Connacht on the back foot. If you're starting to chase a game, if Connacht get ahead early and uh, get a good start on you and they're forcing you to adapt your game and chase it, that won't suit Munster at all. And I think the more Munster can sort of keep that scoreboard ticking over, keep chipping away at things, the better it'll work out for them. The, the line-out is going to be key, trying to make sure that they can secure their own ball and get a platform for them all. Um, and then it'll, uh, it'll be about, as Thomas said, winning collisions. It's going to be, you know, there's going to be big battles there between the likes of, you know, Prendergast at six and, you know, maybe the likes of Byrne or Jenkins or whoever is there. Aki against the likes of Dale Andy. Again, massive, massive battles. And it's going to be who can sort of come out on top of those will go a long way towards the result. Looking at Munster season so far, and I'll stick with you for a second, Don. Looking at Munster season so far, you know, we discussed Leinster's there and we, we had a word on Connacht's too. But, I mean, with the disruption that Munster have had, you know, they've only... You know how many games have they played? They played, I think, seven games so far. Um, out of Jesus, is it ten or eleven games? You know, um, like it's it's kind of difficult to to nail down how their form has been so far this season. I mean, I know they won the first four, then lost, and then you had those postponements, and they won two. But like, I mean, in terms of selection, and you know, in terms of who was on the field, you know, that continuity wasn't really there. How do you see or how have you seen their attack has been so far this season in the games we have played? Well, yeah, I mean, if, if you start, they started off well against the, the Sharks. Um, I thought they, the first game they, they played, it looked quite good. They had Carberry um, there controlling things at 10. They looked like they had some a lot of cohesion. The back line was, was, was good. I thought then it went to the, the Stormers game and... They struggled for large periods of that and they went back to type. They went back to the mall, they kicked to the corner and they went towards the big game um, and the power game. And that got them through that quite comfortably. And then it was sort of the kids were sort of sent over to the Scarlet and they performed fantastically well. They threw the ball around. They, they looked like the, the attack was there. But again, that was without most of the internationals in terms of that, that Scarlet's game. Then you, you had the sort of the, the dogfight with Connacht um, and then, you know, they're very disappointing loss to the Ospreys. Um, and it seems to be that a lot of the time it's coming, f- the good performances are coming from the younger players um, in terms of units. 
So you look at things like I would say probably the the scarlets. You look at a lot of what happened with wasps. It's that injection of youth. Um, and my one worry is that we're not seeing enough of these youths breaking into the first team with Munster. And I, I think like if you go back and you look at it over the last maybe three to four years, Gavin Coombs is one of the very, very few that's actually come up and guaranteed himself a starting spot out of the academy, one of the young guys coming through. There's very other, few others that have come in and done that. Um, and I, I believe there's a huge amount of talent coming through. But if they can't break into that monster first team, then they can't push on for further honours. And I think that's something that we need to see and whether that's on Van Graan's radar, because he's not going to be around next season. So whether he wants to sort of play that conservatively and he's going to pick his best team and his more established players for the rest of the season, or whether it needs to be someone there that almost sort of says, okay, we've got to plan ahead and we need to see more of John Hodden or Alex Kendallin, et cetera, within that and try and break these players in as Munster sort of plan for the future, then that needs to be sort of seen. But I'd love, that's my main hope for the rest of this season as it plays out to get some sort of, I think they, it's the younger guys who provided the spark. I think we need to start seeing more of them being thrown in and given their chances. Uh, the last word on Munster, Tom, I'm going to give to you and I'm going to ask you on the flip side. I mean, looking at, at Munster's defence, they've conceded in their own on average about 15 points a game. Um, how have you seen their defence go so far this season? Would you be happy with it so far or do you think that you know more has to be done? There's more to tweak to it in order to improve it? Yeah, I'm fairly happy. I, I think JP Ferrara has done a pretty good job at Munster defensively. Um, like generally, you look at Munster, get parity at the very least with most forward packs that they play. Uh, you look at their defensive breakdown, I think is one of the best in Europe, I would say. You look at the players they have available there who are very talented, like uh, defensively at the breakdown, your Chris Cluthies, Gavin Coombs, Ty Byrne, obviously, Peter Romani. There's that aspect of it. But I think a lot of it comes down to like the style that we're looking to try to build. To. And again, I think when you look at Munster, you can't really separate the offensive side of the ball from what they're trying to do defensively. Um, again, I think with the players Munster have there, there's a big scope for playing a heavy kind of breakdown transition game. You know, you look at the amount of ball you'd expect to get from a game with Peter Romani there, with Ty Byrne, with Chris Clutie. And I think that's an area where I feel Munster's work in transition for me needs to improve. Um, I, I think like, and again, like I think defensively, I think Munster's record is is pretty good in the, in the United Rugby Championship. I, I think in Europe as well, it's been consistently pretty good. Like, but, but again, I, I think it's the, like that side is fine, but it's how Munster do with regards to getting points on the board is, is the main thing, especially against teams like Leinster who traditionally, I mean, the Rainbow Cup aside, they've struggled to put points on. Uh, and I think that's the main factor like this weekend for me as well, um, how Munster look to try and build. Because I think you and Owen as well will have seen different stuff about Munster, like about, you know, this supposed clash between Johan van Kron, the conservative South African guy, and, and Steve Larkham, the guy, you know, the Australian fellow who just wants to fling the ball around. To me, I, I, I think that that's a, a poor read of the situation. I don't think that that's the way that it's viewed at all. I think there's a confusion between Stephen Larkham, the player, and the coach. I think from a Munster perspective, offensively, there's big, big steps that are, that are yet to be made uh, to get to a point where Munster are threatening the very, very best teams 
Uh, and I think physicality is only half of that. Um, but like, I, I think looking at, you know, where Munster are at, I, I think it's in a, it's in a fairly decent place, but I, I think it, it, it's, it still needs, like I would agree with Owen, like there's, there's younger guys I feel need to get a few more opportunities. Now I, I understand that there's uh, elements where they, they mind guys where if guys aren't training, they're not playing. And if they play, some guys aren't ready for a week or two after. Um, and, and that's something natural, especially with forwards. But I think there's an opportunity now, especially with the likes of Ben Healy, uh, Jack Crowley and, and Jake Flannery to rotate them in and, and, and get, get, get them good minutes now over the next couple of months. Cause the, the Joy Carby won't be a factor for another four. I'd say maybe we, we might see him at Munster again in April, maybe. So there's a large opportunity there for these lads to come in and look to try and build a style that I feel suits where Munster are looking to try to go. But again, a lot of that is up in the air. Need contracts announced for players. Need to see movement on the coaching side of it as well and start to look to try to build something like as in And again, perception is the biggest thing. Like as in, I think Munster's record this season actually isn't that bad. You look at the the, the highlights of that away performance in Scarlet's were, again, one of the best performances I've seen from Munster in a number of years. But that loss to the Ospreys was, was damaging and deflating. Uh, the Connacht game was, you know, with the offside thing. He wasn't offside. It was a good try. Um, and you look at that and you go, I don't think Munster are in that bad a place, but they're constantly judged against Leinster, who are a juggernaut in this league and in Europe. And until Munster are overhauling Leinster, then the questions will still be there and the perception issues will still be there. And that's what needs to change. And I think the offensive side of the ball, getting some of those younger guys in more regularly. And I think that's happening, but it needs to happen a little bit faster, I think. And, and that's something I think that is on everybody's minds. Um, but yeah, look, it's it, the perception battle is the biggest thing. And uh, you'll only do that by winning big games. And that's an opportunity this weekend. Well, as we said, we gave our predictions earlier for that game. Um, I'm the only one who thinks Connacht will win of the three. The other two think it's going to be an away win. So at least, again, one of us will be right next week, hopefully, uh, that that game goes ahead. So moving on to our last team. Uh, finally, for you Ulster fans, we've reached there. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, fellas. And I'm going, to, I'm going to say this. I've been thinking about it all week. Of the four provinces so far, um, after the Christmas break and having a bit of reflection, of the four provinces, Ulster is the one, both on the pitch and off it, that have impressed me so far this season. Um, on paper, they've lost two, the same number as Leinster, and I'm counting that Montpellier 5-0 as a loss, as it's as you know it stands at the moment, so that's all we can do. So, you know, they're, they're equal with Leinster there. They've had a hell of an away win against um, Claremont. The win against Saints, I know, um, you know, Saints didn't go away in fairness, but Saints are a good team. Uh, so, you know, you have that. It was a poor loss against the Ospreys and they lost to what was an excellent Connacht side earlier in the season um, in round five. But their games, you know, they started well. They had Glasgow, I know they would Zebra then, Benetton afterwards. But, you know, they, they beat Glasgow well at home in a, in a high-scoring, thrilling game. They kept both Zebra and Benetton to three points apiece. Um, so they held up their bargain well there. They were home to the Lions. Big win there. Uh, they lost to Connacht. A big, big win against Leinster 2010. And I know the scoreboard probably doesn't reflect how big a win it was, but they really, really, you know, they were on top in that game. 
the Ospreys game look said it already disappointing but like I mean they came back after that disappointing away loss to the Ospreys to win away to Claremont which is no mean feat um, you add in the fact that they had their contract signing so far um, all these guys that they're retaining um, and that like I don't think you can put a price on how good news that is as well for fans to tune in to Twitter on a you know a shitty rainy Tuesday and to see oh Billy Burns has signed on for another two years or like even you know bringing guys like um bringing guys like Dwayne Vermeulen in at the start of the season I, I don't think you can put a price on the buzz that creates for fans but also for players it's very obvious to me that they're in a happy place because of the number of guys that are happy to sign on and, and, and to stay with the team I believe that the players think that they're very close to, to doing something special and I think in regards of how we've seen them play so far this season, I think they've been absolutely unbelievable. Um, for me, they're probably the most impressive so far. Um, there probably be some um, some Ulster fans now saying, "Why do you sound so surprised?" I don't mean to sound surprised. Um, I just, you know, I think I think what they've done both on and off the pitch in the last four odd months has to be commended. I'm aware as well that they've only had one game postponed, but now two, I suppose, with Leinster. Uh, last week's game against Connacht and now this week's game against Leinster being postponed. That's been the only kind of impact COVID has had on them. And I think we have seen the continuity, I suppose, uh, for want of a better word. Uh, we've seen, you know, guys like they have na- they've nailed down their back row. Uh, they have a team that's full of g- good back rows. And for me, Ray, Vermeulen and Timoney is definitely their starting back row. Uh, and then you, you're leaving out guys like Jordy Murphy there. Um, so, to, to, to be able to offer, I suppose, a platform for, for players like that, to, to give the trust to the players. You have Dan McFarland, who's really doing an unbelievable job over the last number of seasons in not only clearing out kind of dead wood and going again, but also revamping the team. And, you know, he took over during a very turbulent time, let's be honest. Like, But I think we're seeing the fruits of his labour here coming through both on the pitch and off it. And you have an environment where guys are just so happy to play. They're playing a brand of rugby. I think that's fantastic. Um, their defence was something they focused on earlier in the season and they really wanted to hammer that home. But I think we see in Europe now kind of what they've been looking to do in attack and that framework coming through as well now. So, I mean, I think that they're starting to peak at just the right time. You know, they're, they're still getting better and better week in, week out. And, you know, you can you can take that last to Connacht and you can take that last to Ospreys. Like I'm very happy if I'm if I'm Dan McFarland and I'm losing games like that in round five and round seven, and I'm learning lessons that I've learned in those games. Like I'm very happy to do that early in the season because it means that not only you know not only have we learned those lessons, but we've learned it at a time when we're not hitting the business end of things when we can't afford to make those lessons or to to make those mistakes, I should say. So I think overall, for me. Ulster of the four provinces probably have been the most standout for me in both on and off the pitch. Um, Owen, I don't know if you'd agree with me on that one. Um, maybe you'd agree to some extent, but what, what are your thoughts on it so far? I, I think Ulster are maybe a, li- a little bit like Munster in, in that maybe I think the the scoreboard tell, it tells a, or paints a prettier picture than, than necessarily is there. And I think within that, I think Ulster started well. They had Glasgow, Zebra, Benetton, and the Lions. And I, even though they won those games well on the scoreboard, I didn't necessarily have the feeling that they had played well. Um, and they had started well. And then you got the Connacht loss, 
And I think that put big question marks there. They responded, I thought, fantastically against a Leinster. And to be fair, it was very much a second string Leinster side. Um, and they but to get any sort of a win in the RDS is a fantastic result. And I think it's only in the last couple of weeks in, in terms of Europe, in terms of Claremont away and Saints, that we I've seen them really sort of up the ante, I think, in terms of the performance. Um, and I, I think particularly the Claremont match, um, I was hugely impressed with them. But I don't think they've hit top top form yet. And I, I think for me, what what's going to happen or how they, they get on for the rest of the season sort of sits around three or four players and their fitness. And I think it's around McCluskey, Henderson, Vermeulen, and probably Cooney, I think, is, is the fourth. Because McCluskey is is so vital. McCluskey is so vital to how Ulster play and how their entire backline functions. Because without a player like him, it's very hard for the rest of the, that backline to get over the game line. To it, he attracts so many um, defenders on them um, and allows the others to play. And I think you know with the other with Henderson and Vermeulen, you're looking at big carriers, um, and that's what Ulster really lack. And I think you know. They need to have the two of those there fit playing regularly. And Cooney, again, at halfback, as good a player as Billy Burns is, he's a facilitator. He's not necessarily a guy that grabs a game by the scruff of the neck and, and leads it through. And I think they, they rely so much on Cooney as for that sort of game management um, at nine. And I think if they can keep those four guys fit, healthy, and playing for most of the games for the rest of the season, they'll do really well and they could shock a lot of people. But if they start shipping key injuries and I think the, the break um, will allow hopefully the likes of, you know, McCluskey and Henderson to to get a couple of extra weeks without games um, to, to recover from the injuries they picked up and the knocks they picked up in Europe and I think get them back fit, then they can be a real force for the rest of the season. Tom, what's your thoughts so far on Ulster this season? Very impressive. Uh, I, I think that they like that win over Leinster will give them a lot of confidence, and, and I think gave them a lot of confidence because it was something that they obviously schemed from a long way off and then executed. Uh, I think looking at the business they've done off the field has been quick. It's been decisive. Guys have been on put on long contracts. Nathan Doak is on a four-year deal, which is serious, of, isn't it? serious backing, you know. Uh, you've got James Hume on, a, on a, a, a good long deal as well. I think Stuart McCluskey too. So lads are buying into what's happening up in Ulster. And if the environment wasn't there, I think that fellas might be looking elsewhere. But I, I think they're really digging what, what, what McFarland is doing up there at the moment. And I think I look at like that, that, that game against, against Leinster. Like how many times have you seen an Ulster side coming down? Even a relatively strong one compared to, to Leinster coming down and, you know, laying an egg down there. Like, uh, I think that this game was like, like that particular game was a real marker for them uh, as, as a big performance. And then they've just backed that up with really good, like, I mean, again, that, that Connacht game was disappointing for sure. And that Osprey's performance was, was poor, but you look at their European games have been fabulous. They seem to be playing with a confidence. They know what they're doing. They back what they're doing. They don't look like they're, kind of, uh, you know, because you see teams sometimes going out there with a maybe a change in a game plan or doing something that that's a little bit off what they're good at. And you can tell they're always kind of a little bit tentative 
Ulster back what they're doing and, and they seem really comfortable with, with, with where they're at at the moment and they've got guys who are performing incredibly well in the roles assigned like again you would look at Hume how well he stepped into that job and you look at Ulster have struggled really I think since Jared Payne and, and maybe Will Addison when he's played there to kind of get that partner for McCluskey as a guy who can really kind of add value on top of what McCluskey gives you but man I, I just think that they've done really really well with the guys they've brought in and there's more talent there as well. Uh, you know, you look at Timoney, you look at Balakoon, you look at uh, even uh, Lowry. He's done such a fabulous job for them back there, like as that kind of second playmaker. And he's done it looking really, really good in big games. Uh, I, I think they're just, again, I think if, uh, one or two players away from being a very serious team. Um, and I think you look at, that, that to me falls again on halfback. Um, but They've got a lot of confidence, I think, in the guys they have coming through. And I think that they're a big signing at 10 away from being very, very close to challenging, especially in the upcoming post-Sexton era. I think that they're going to be looking at a team there, Ulster, a a team who've got the capacity to beat almost anybody. And it'll just come down to their own consistency. But what they're doing on and off the field this season anyway looks very, very impressive. Yeah, I do think it's going to be... Uh, like something special to watch I think and I do think the players believe that something special is happening I think as well and I was going to include Leinster in this um, in this little kind of bracket but sure that game's been postponed now but after you know their next game they're away to Munster down to Holman Park they're away to Franklin's Gardens against the Saints and they're at home then to Claremont so I do think that those three games I suppose a litmus test would that be the, the correct I suppose term to put on it um, you know I do think that that's going to be the measure of how well they are going to go this season um, to to get those four European games four for four but you know like including Claremont in that group like to go four for four in your European games I think is no mean feat and people can say what they like about Claremont I mean they're a, they're a very good team um, and to, to win away in Claremont is a is a tough thing to do so I think if, if they manage to go four for four like that unbelievable and if they can include Munster then as well in that kind of little little bracket of games I think it's going to be a huge feat um, and to get three W's in a row there is going to add a huge amount of confidence into what they've already accomplished this season but like we said there's no game this weekend that the game against Leinster has been postponed for a date who knows when but I'm sure we'll see but that brings us on to the question part of the show as always folks we've taken your questions over the week we've picked three and we're going to do our very best to bluff our way through them so we start with the first one and um, the first question comes in and it's should the IRFU bring back the Ireland A or Wolfhounds team now I'm going to pass this one to Owen first but in my own opinion I think it would be absolutely unbelievable for a number of reasons but Owen we'll jump to you first What, what are your thoughts on it? Well, look, I, I think I would personally love to see the A games. I thought along with the under twenties, it was always a highlight of things like the, you know, the the Six Nations um block of games. You used to be able to see the under twenties, the A's, and the senior team. And even if you couldn't get tickets to uh, you know, the, the full Six Nations game, you'd be able to go along and see either one of the under twenties or the or the A games somewhere around the country. And I, I thought that was always a big one for fans. I think it it would be a brilliant thing for the fans but I'm not too sure how um, realistic it is at the moment with COVID 
because you're looking at, I suppose, extra costs, finances when when everything is getting squeezed. And I think also, particularly this season, you're looking at where you're having to rearrange games quickly. So you're also getting a pull from the provinces. So a lot of the players that maybe looked for those sort of um, A caps would potentially may have to play also for their their province at the moment. But it's something I would like to see, I think, um, coming in more maybe for, for next season if they, if I suppose, finances and pandemic allows. Tom, what's your thoughts now? Would you like to see a Wolfhounds team come back? Yeah, and I think it was something that they were looking at. Um, I, I think it would give kind of another layer below the the... the test level and, and keep guys involved in a kind of a, in, in a wider group because I think what can happen at times especially once you start getting closer to a world cup there is your main group and then if you're guys who are kind of outside that um you know we'll say maybe outside two or three spots on a depth chart in a certain position it can kind of feel like you're you don't really exist on 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 the depth chart as such and, and to an extent you don't so I think it would add another layer for guys where you might maybe only have two or three A games in a season, but it keeps you involved and it keeps you feeling like you're on the radar and that you're actually, you know, you're, you're being looked at in a way that goes beyond that you're just, you know, you're, you're, you're playing for your province, which is great as well. But for those lads, you want to feel like you've got, that there's a pathway that isn't just well, I'm just not in the international bubble now, and that's that. I think what the those A and, and Wolfhound games do is it allows you an opportunity to get younger players who might be playing quite well, but who aren't at that level of uh, playing for the test team just yet. I think there's a big barrier at the moment between being ready to play test games and, you know, uh, pro for or URC level or European level. I think that an A game might give those guys a little extra bit of a step up and kind of keep guys encouraged and kind of going, look, there is something here for you. Because I can imagine in years gone by, like a guy like uh, Will Connors. Now, I know he's got a lot of Irish caps as is, but that's a guy, maybe a guy like a Josh Murphy, maybe a guy like a Jack O'Donoghue, um, a guy like a Finney Mitcherly could be involved at that level and just stay in the bubble and stay involved and not feel like that they're so far away from test level that, you know, what's the point? So I think that in that regard, it could be a good bridging post. And I think it was always intended between your provincial rugby and your test rugby and kind of keeping a quite a wide um, group of, of guys in that test environment, which would make it easier for contracting and just make it feel like that there's more opportunities there outside of the test. Because I think the test games now are so tense, so much money on the line as well, that there's a lot of pressure comes down on selection that you look at how often even just this last year that Ireland were able to experiment at fullback with somebody other than Hugo Keenan there wasn't really much of an opportunity because every game almost felt must win and in that environment it's very difficult to to, to take risks and I think an A game is basically allows you to go look these are the guys who are performing well maybe they don't fit into a depth chart right now but here's a game for them let them out there let them impress and that kind of is a, is a good step up for people I think no, I fully agree with both of you. And I, I think the last point that I'd throw in, like you, you've said pretty much the other ones I wanted to say, but the last one I wanted to throw in is the likes of, like I was chatting to Stuart McCluskey there last night and I asked him, do you think or are you annoyed? No, he wasn't in fairness, but I kind of said like, does it ever bother you that the number of Irish camps you've been in, the ratio to caps you've gotten, they don't really match up. 
and in fairness you know he he, he answered quite diplomatically like but it, it's the fact that like with an with an a game you, you have people all the time looking at an Ireland camp and if, if, if you look at the one just gone past I mean Hume didn't get a game McCloskey didn't get a game um just to top of my head I know others didn't get a game as well but like Balakun didn't get a game like with a with a with a camp or with an A game like that, kind of maybe in the second week or something like that, you've guys not only who can dip the toe, young guys coming through and getting up to speed with international rugby and seeing how ready and how at pace you have to be, but you're getting guys who haven't been away for three weeks or four weeks, whatever it is, who have played a game. And last week we were talking about it, Tom. I think it was actually you who said like, there's a, there's a thing of being too fresh and not being game ready. And you, if you have guys who are away at camp for three, four weeks and they haven't played a game, they've just been training, holding bags. Like it doesn't matter how hard you play or train, it doesn't replicate being on the pitch in a match. And if you have a, a, an A game in between, like it benefits, well, A, it benefits the national team because you fellas keeping up to speed, you've developing partnerships, you've fellas dipping the toes into international rugby, seeing what's expected of you and all that. But it also benefits the, the the provinces because you fellas coming home who have played a game in the meantime and they're not just coming straight back after not playing for four or five weeks or whatever it is. And you know, they, they, they are that bit match sharp and match fit. So me personally, anyway, I'd like to both of you, I suppose I'd love to see um, a Wolfhounds game. It actually leads nicely into our next question. Um, in, like we mentioned Ireland A there, but in regards an A-League for the URC, would you like to see one? Uh, we went to you first there, Owen, so we'll go to you first, Tom, first. Uh, I think it would be beneficial, um, but I'm not sure if it would fly in Munster. I think that anybody who might be involved in uh, an A-League that's attached to the URC is somebody who could be playing AIL rugby. And while that might not be a problem for Leinster, uh, I, I think that it certainly would be for, for Munster anyway, politically mainly it would just be a very difficult thing to sell to the clubs. They'd feel like the ladder was pulled up on them. You know, I think it's something that, that, that could work, but I think with the situation with Munster, I think that it's something that the AIL, and that's something I feel that Ian Costello has done a really good job in building back up again. He's spoken about this on a, on a podcast. I think with the club scene podcast it was a very good listen about the work he's done to build up that relationship again. And I think that that, as something that certainly I don't think would work for Munster. I think we want to try and keep the clubs as involved as possible. And that means having access to academy guys to play, you know, as as many games as as as, as is feasible really at, at AIL level. And if there's an if there's an A-League in the URC, ah, I think that kind of cuts the AIL off at the knees. And I'm not sure. I think that Munster may be even better served in having a uh in having a strong AIL then I think they may be better served just from a purely selfish monster perspective. I think it could suit a lot no, of times. I think, I think you're right there in regards to Connacht and Ulster too, though. Oh, I'd say so, yeah. I think, I think with Leinster's system as is, they've got so many guys in their academy. I think it would nearly suit them more to have a kind of a, a Leinster A in a, in a development league like that or URC A league or whatever. It might actually suit them more given the amount of players they have. Um, but uh, again, I think it's just something that's it sounds good in theory, and I think that if there was no AIL, it would be perfect, but, but I think Munster have to use the AIL. I think that's something that they have to do, like, first of all, player developmental, um, but because uh, you look at Pat Campbell this year, you look how well he's done coming from young Munster and mainly playing in the AIL. Uh, I, I think when it comes to, um, uh, and then the political side of it as well, you have to keep the clubs involved. It's just one of those things where 
it's a bit of a landmine, you know, down here. It's something that, that you just need to, the clubs need to be involved. And I think an A-League, certainly from a Munster perspective, would uh, would uh, go down like a lead balloon here. Owen, what's your thoughts on it? I think it's important to try and split it between, I suppose, well, the fan in me would think, oh, lovely, like more games to watch if they were televised or available to stream. But then I suppose the realist in me is thinking money, it's thinking players, it's thinking availability, it's thinking COVID bubbles, it's thinking all these different things. What's your thoughts on it, like an A-League for the URC? Well, I'm, I'm not too sure about an A-League for the URC because, you, as you said, look, you, you've, I think one of the biggest ones is going to be financial and you're going to look at costs in, involved in that. But there needs to be some sort of an, an A-League in there because, I, like, in an ideal world, you have your players who are just outside your sort of first team and your first squad and they're playing regularly. They're playing with your system you're playing with your calls, you're playing together, they're playing as a team under that, and that works. Where you have it in the current system with the AIL is you can have a group of players playing with a certain club. They're not playing with that club that often because they're playing with their province, and suddenly that club may get relegated, and it's going down in terms of the leagues, the terms of standard that it's playing, and you're getting to a situation whereby they're not playing to the standard that's required as they sort of, they go through their, their season when they're not playing with the province. And it, I don't see any sense in that. There, and I completely understand the political drawbacks, particularly in, in Munster. But I think if you're starting from scratch, you don't design it this way. You design it with an A-League. It works in pretty much every other league in every other sport that's there, you have some sort of a filter system that comes through where the players play together. It's unusual when it doesn't happen. I think what needs to potentially happen is that the either there's more done around an interprovincial sort of level where you have an A-League where they're playing, whether that means that you're sort of um, ring-fencing the AIL to a certain degree and you, you limit a number of clubs within each province and you make it that way or whether you the a Celtic A-League with the likes of Wales and um, uh, Scotland in it or maybe even England to, if you wanted to push it that far but I mean like you could work something out on that where, where it may be possible and would reduce costs in it um, but I think it has to happen and it has to happen fairly soon the only thing that's holding it back I think at the moment has to be the, the sort of the, the COVID financing impact well, I fully agree with you there as well. Uh, we'll move on to the third question. We actually have four for today because the late one came in. That is a very good question that we'll get to, but we'll take the third one first. A um, lot of talk over the last couple of, well, last a long time now, to be fair, um, about Welsh fans would be happier to see their teams joining the English second tier. Ideally, they'd like to see them join the Premiership first, but like... We'll get to the, that discussion in a second, but a lot of discussion over the last couple of weeks about fans being happier to see, Welsh fans being happier to see their teams join in the English second tier. Um, God bless us, jumping into this, I think is the first thing I'll say. Um, not an overly religious man, but I think we need all the luck in the world to deal with this. Um, for my sins, I'm going to jump in first. And, you know, any Welsh people listening to this, We'll probably say well you're not welsh so you don't get to comment on this i don't think that's how things work in the world so i'm just going to go for it um 
I think the idea of being happier to see my team leave the URC to join a second tier English competition would be, I'm struggling to think of an adjective. I think it is a, a, a silly idea. And uh, I'm being kind of generous with that adjective there. Um, there's a couple of reasons they want to see it happen. Um, a lot of talk has been on travel and it's easier to travel to, you know, Coventry or it's easier to travel to, you know, it's easier to travel to certain places to catch a game. You can drive for two hours, drive two hours back. My argument there would be, if that's the case, why aren't you selling out your home games first? Um, if you look at dropping out of the URC to join the championship, you're also giving up Europe. Um, so now your teams aren't playing against the likes of La Rochelle, Leinster, Toulouse. They're playing against Amtil and Ealing. And no offense to Amtil or Ealing or whatever, but like Toulouse, they are not. Um, not many teams are. So to give up the chance to let your players represent the team to play against the likes of Dupont or Intimac or whatever, um, I think is robbing them of an opportunity of why they play. Um, to be honest. Um, there's also the fact that, you know, there's the second, there's the 60 cap rule in place in, in Wales. So if you're joining an English competition, but you're saying your players have to play in Wales, but you're playing in an English competition, don't see how that works. So that's going to ruin that too. Um, I also think then in an ideal scenario, and this is completely ideal if they were to join the championship in an ideal scenario, it'll take them four years to get all four teams out. For every year that goes on, for any team stuck in the championship, then after that, they're losing more and more finance. They're losing more and more money. They're losing television money, gate money. They're losing you know, revenue through the roof. So for me, I don't see why you would want your team to leave the URC and I understand, like, I do understand, the, like, you know, the it's it's all located in the one country. Like, that is an appeal. I do get that. But, I mean, I get that in regards, like, you don't have to travel to South Africa. I do think if you're not selling out your home games, then that appeal doesn't hold much water. You still should be getting that home. Um, but that's another argument. I think it's, oh, I don't know, like I like, I can tell already there's going to be backlash on this, but... I, I just think that if it's a case that you you want your team to join a second rate competition in England or a second tier competition in England rather than playing the best of the best week in week out that's available to you at the moment I think it's just going to bring so many more problems like the pros con list is going to be so headed over to the cons that for me it's not even a conversation now before anybody jumps on me and you know I'm I'm actually already dreading my mentions now tomorrow. The, I think that they're just my thoughts. Um, Tom, I don't know what you think about it. Uh, to be honest, you're probably going to be, um, I imagine you're probably along the same wavelength as me, Owen, I imagine you are too. But uh, Tom, what do, you, what do you think of this whole thought of you know, leaving the URC to join the, the championship? I think if, if I was a secret agent and... I wanted to go undercover with the sole intention of destroying Welsh rugby from within. One of the first things I'd suggest would be, you know what, as we should go to the English championship, I think that'd be brilliant for us to do. It is just the biggest shower of nonsense. I have seen this stuff with 
uh, Welsh rugby Twitter over the years, uh, for many years, this weird willingness there for the English to come riding over the Severn Bridge to save them. And it's just, it's never materialized. And I, I see this, some of this, uh, you know, conversation that's happened. And, and some of these people, like as in, Peter Jackson is one of these guys, like a guy who's, who's written plenty of, of, of uh, fairly well-respected articles for a number of different publications over the years as one of the main guys leading this. And I'm just like, is this a, a joke of some kind that I'm not getting, that there's some sort of layer of irony here? If, if it is, it's really good. It's, it's, it's certainly pretty funny. But I look at it and go, if they managed to get their and allowed them into the English Championship, the other clubs in the English Championship, for, for whatever reason, have agreed to let them do this, even though by adding in more teams, it makes them more difficult. And bear in mind, all of the teams who are in the English Championship right now would prefer to be anywhere else. Like they would prefer to be in the Gallagher Premiership. They're all trying to get out of that league. So you look at, they, they have accepted and agreed that, the, that these Welsh regions will come in and they will allow them then to compete for promotion. It, like at what point do you have to kind of step in on people here and go, look, I get that there is an infantile desire here to be just like, we hate the URC so much that we're willing to say that we want to go play in the English Championship and go, okay, grow up first of all. But second of all, like at what point is reality going to step in here? Like if we look at, like say they say they were allowed in, in three years time, I would suggest you might only have one region viable as a professional entity going forward. I imagine you know, you'd, you'd have one Welsh region in the Gallagher Premiership, I would suggest. I would think they'd be somewhere near the bottom. Most of their best players would be picked off fairly early by the English champ- by the English uh, Gallagher Premiership teams. They have bigger budgets. Like There's nothing about it that makes any sense except as a sort of a, a howl of disgust at where they are at the moment with their own professional clubs. Like, they, they like I, I think the the Welsh clubs in general have this feeling, and the Welsh regions rather have this feeling, and I think it bleeds over mainly with the with a certain element of their fan base because this is far from all Welsh rugby fans, like far from it, like and that's and that's the thing, like a lot of this is being led by a fairly loud minority of people who just have no sense whatsoever, and I think that to an extent they've been indulged a little bit too much by local Welsh rugby media to a state that maybe these guys, maybe listening to these guys and, and promoting their views is actually, you know, at what point you look at and think, well, maybe we're the problem. You're talking about coming over there and, and being a big draw for these traditional rivals over in the English Gallagher, you know, the Gallagher Premiership. Can't even sell out your own home games. What are you talking about bringing all these audiences and bring like, what would they bring? Like, and this isn't about like me trying to convince these Welsh fans who are skeptical about the URC, this isn't about me trying to change their mind. There's no changing minds. You can't talk sense to people who didn't come to their own position by, you know, being rational. So like, for me, it's just very much like I would like in some way for, for them to, to go with this plan. But again, that would be if my ultimate aim was to destroy Welsh rugby from within. I just think it's just an incredibly destructive, um, attitude that they have and i think it's very much that you know you have this whole thing where you don't shit where you eat they've been doing that for years and they're wondering why their food smells 
and why nobody wants to eat there anymore. Like it's just, it, it is, it is ridiculous, but it's something that we've come to expect from elements of the Welsh rugby media and, and the fans that, that, that go with them. And I think it's certainly something that uh, if you won't promote your own league and you have no real audience to base off for your own home games, I'm not sure what the attraction would be, but maybe that's something that is um, beyond my understanding. Maybe this is something that you can only really understand if you are a uh, got heavy posters brain uh, from posting on too many Welsh rugby forums. Maybe I just need to do that and then I'd, it'll all become clear. Oh, and last word to you. What's your thoughts on it? Well, look, first of all, I think this this comes about, as you've, you've said, it comes about from a fairly small minority. It's been, it's been backed up by pretty much clickbait media and people looking to, to make a story and a name for themselves on the back of it, right? And there has always been the hardcore there. The, there's no financial sense to it from either, from either party. The, you know, I don't see how the financial sense in, is there for the English sides to allow more Welsh teams come into their championship. I don't see the, the financial sense for the Welsh sides to join at a pro, at a sort of a, a tier two level in there. I think a lot of this is based on a feeling of nostalgia going back to the 70s and 80s for fans who can remember back. And I have a vague recollection of big games against English sides and that the, the, the local, you know, what are now Welsh Premiership teams would have full grounds for. Full grounds back in those days were maybe five, 6,000 people, maybe 10,000, right? But the the constant issue here is that, believe it or not, the Welsh can get crowds in. You look at Judgment Day, right? When the, when the effort is put in there and as once-offs, they can get 50, 60,000, near 70,000 people into the Principality Stadium to see four Welsh teams play against each other. So the crowds are there. The problem is that they can't do it on a regular basis. And what's, what they seem to be looking for is for someone else to solve their problems. So you have a look at those, they'll, they'll all come together and there'll be a one-off, but you can't get Cardiff fans to travel down to Swansea, down the motorway. What is it, half an hour, 40, 40 minutes even down there? They won't travel. So if you can't get fans to travel that won't travel from, from Cardiff to Swansea, you're expecting them to go to Doncaster and that'll solve it, or you're expecting Doncaster fans to come in and and that'll solve it, or there, there'll be some sort of a TV deal that will suddenly appear that's going to be better than the South Africans and the market that they've brought in from the URC. I, ju- I just don't get this. And I mean, like, to me, it just seems absolute pie in the sky. People just unhappy with what's happening in their club, unable to affect it, are so disillusioned, as Tom says, they're willing to almost go for the option that will kill their own club rather than look to do something to support it. Because once you start diving into this, a lot of these people won't go to games. They won't go to games, to their home games, or even to their away games. And they, they only want to watch it on free-to-wear when they have to pay for it, which is money coming into a club, pay for a subscription to watch it on either you know, the URC or whether it be Premier Sports or whatever it is in Wales. They're not willing to do that to support their club either. So it comes back to something. You've got to be willing to go in and engage with the club work with them do something about it and try and get involved 
And the biggest thing that can happen to that is success. You get success and the fans will follow in. And that's what's missing in Welsh club rugby. Well, we'll move on back to, to Irish club rugby and, and the, the provincial teams. And it's not often we actually talk about teams. I don't think I think that's actually the first time we've spoken about any teams outside the, the provinces so far. It took five weeks for it to come up, but that may be it for a little while. I think we're all, though, in um, agreement in regards to our thoughts there. Uh, the last question we have, and we'll just touch on it quickly because I am conscious of time, um, and it is a fourth question, which we don't usually do either. Should there be more interprovincial movement between the provinces? Um, well, I think, and I'll just jump in first with my quick thoughts, I think the days of having, you know, the, I think that rivalry between Munster and Leinster, let's say, and stuff like that, like I'm, I'm just picking that one out of, out, of, out of the sky first. I do think there is still an element of that rivalry there, but I think in regards oh, you're a Leinster player, you can't play for us. I think those days are well dead. Um, and vice versa, you know, oh, you're a Munster guy, you can't play for us. I, I, I did, those days are long dead and gone, I think. Um, I do think some interprovincial movement would be good, especially um, if you have guys who aren't just getting game time. Like, I mean, you look at Scott Penny, um, you know, if he's, he's and again, we keep actually coming back to Scott Penny, but, you know, you, you have guys like him who used to get regular game time, not getting it anymore. If you have a team that are struggling or may have injuries in a certain position, I don't see what's wrong with a bit of movement, maybe alone or something like that. On the flip side of that, though, I think a lot has to be coming back to the players' own objectives. Like, um, let's say, for example, if I'm maybe second or third choice for Munster and I'm not getting much game, am I willing to go climb another mountain halfway up Everest? Like, you know, am, am I willing to take time away from my family and friends? Am I willing to move, let's say, for, like, I remember, was it Jack Power came from, was he in the Leinster Academy at the time? I think and he, he came down to Munster. I think he played a couple of A games. He was living in a hotel in Limerick during the week and then going back up at weekends. Like, that's a tough life to lead for anybody, regardless of age. And especially if you have a family, I think it's no way to live uh, to come down for a week you're missing them too it's you know I, I think there's an awful lot of elements in there that you know it, it's grand saying oh we're going to take player A put him in this province for a little while and then bring him back after I don't know 10 games but it's life isn't as straightforward as that um, as, as everybody knows um, and not only that I think the players own objectives what they want to achieve um, they, they've been playing with a team for a while that they want to become you know top dog in, and it could be a case of out of sight out of mind um, it could be a case of, yeah, you did well there, but that's a different game plan playing, I don't know, maybe behind a different pack, playing a different style of rugby, playing, um, I don't know, whatever teams you might have faced that week or for those set of periods of week. So I do think wild interprovincial movement is good. Um, and I think it's only it'll only benefit the teams and players and nationally. I just think there's probably a bit too much um, life that gets in the way for that. Tom, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think for all of the Irish provinces, maybe, well, look, maybe for Munster and Ulster, Connacht would be slightly different, I think, just because of their, their, like their, their, their player base as is. I think a good mix would be 70% home-developed players, maybe 20% Irish-qualified guys from maybe other provinces, and then maybe another 10% from either non-Irish-qualified or from exile players. I think that might be a good balance to have. I think with Leinster, they're probably the only crowd at the moment who could maybe go with 95% of their own home-developed players. Um, I, I think that interprovincial movement is good. I think that there is an inherent danger of 
taking in, and, and, and this is mainly the situation when you're, when there's uh, excess players at Leinster who are either so far down the depth chart that they're waiting for maybe two injuries before they can get any kind of run on the team. Or there are guys who just aren't getting their game, who might be, who feel they have more to offer. I'm talking about a tight burn in, in, in 27, 2016. I'm talking about now just out of the academy on a senior deal for however many months. Um, and it's just not working out for them. I think that there is an option to bring those guys in as long as there's a buy-in from the player to the province. I look at Andrew Conway as being a guy who I think has done really well there. Tyg Byrne certainly at this stage, I think, has that at Munster as well. Because I think what 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 rubs people up the wrong way is guys who come down the road with tears in their eyes that they'd rather be, uh, they'd obviously rather be playing with Leinster. Guys who have an idea that they want to be pro players and they really get to love the idea of going elsewhere and becoming top guys there. I, I, I see that in, in, in a Joey Carberry, actually, to come and, and, and be a real productive uh, guy in the team, not just as a sort of a, as a second choice, which might always be the case in reality, but it's about what you make of it personally. I think that it's a good thing for Irish rugby. I think for provincial identity, whatever that means, I think it's about creating a winning culture first and bringing guys in, like there's a guy like Will Connors, for example, a guy who might be available this off season. I think any one of the other Irish provinces would look at him and go, that's a guy who could come in and improve us. And that has to be the main factor first and foremost, because, you know, the, the big show in town here is, is the Irish national team. And if the Irish national team is successful, it'll be because they've got multiple options playing top level games. And for a guy like Will Connors at the moment, he, for me, He'd certainly be behind a, a Josh van der Fleer uh, to play in that open side uh, position for for uh, for Leinster. And there's a lot of competition there, to be honest. So I think for a guy like that, uh, an interprovincial move makes a lot of sense from an Irish perspective. But as you said there, it's got to make sense for the player as well. I think it's not something that can ever be forced. I think the guy has to really want to make the move because if they don't, it'll never work out because you're always going to be half thinking that you should be uh, I, I need to go back or I, I didn't want to come here in the first place. You're never going to play your best rugby in that scenario. So it's just one of those things that I think it certainly would improve uh, like the Irish national team. But I think to keep, I think the, 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 the province is strong and to keep the, the culture within them strong, there's only so many guys you can, you, you can take in, I feel. And that's going to be the big challenge for, from a Leinster perspective anyway, I feel going forward will be managing the numbers they have, which are colossal. And for the other provinces, making sure that if you are getting a guy in from Leinster or from any one of the other provinces, that they're the right guy and that they're coming down to improve and to, you know, to be a pro player and to kind of make their claim and not necessarily because, well, I, I'm not playing in, in Leinster and I, I don't really want to come here, but here I am anyway. I think it, it won't work in that regard, but I think certainly like more interprovincial moves would uh, benefit everybody, but They've got to be for the right reason. And I think they've got to be like choice from the player themselves. So some guys will never will never look to move and, that, and that's fine. Uh, but it's all about creating those opportunities and having a strong Irish ecosystem of players who are internal moves, I think, in some ways, only add to the rivalry to an extent. I remember hearing that, that Joey Carberry moving from Leinster to Munster would somehow dilute the rivalry between Munster and Leinster it's as if people have never seen sports before but it's just one of those things that I think that 
those moves will always be contentious. They have a potential not to work because um, I think one uh, example of them not working uh, or a hypothetical example is a guy moving and then two years later moves back at the very first opportunity. I think the real opportunity for guys and a real successful move is when a guy moves and then buys into that area because who hasn't moved from their home county or their home province to somewhere else and then made that place their home? There's no reason why that can't work, but it's got it, but it's got to work with that time commitment. And that's the way I would say that, that you would judge it as a success. It won't be for everybody, but I think there, there's a real balance to be struck there. And I think that more moves are going to happen. They've just got to be the right ones. Owen, last word on that, more intervention movement, good or bad? I, th- I think it's good, and I think uh, we should see more of it. I think you look historically, you know, the, the moves between the provinces were fairly rare. Um, and I think what you're seeing now is you're seeing a situation where I think certainly the, the format of the league is changing. It's going to be looking at, at smaller squads overall. I think you, you look at someone like... Um, you, you, we've talked sort of Scott Penny and Will Connors. I think someone that we we haven't maybe talked about is Connor Oliver. Um, you know, he 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 moved from he was part of the Leinster setup. He moved down to Munster, and he's really found himself a niche out in Connacht at the moment. You know, and I think he he's gone about that. I think you have to look for players that are are going to sort of push themselves and are willing to do everything they can to become that sort of first choice player not accepting second best. You don't necessarily want to have too many guys who are only willing to play for their home province, won't move out um, from that and are willing to almost settle to be sort of third or fourth. And yeah, they, in their own mind, they're, they're pushing themselves on, but they've got, you've also got to accept that if they're not going to get there, they're going to get cut. And that, that's going to be the end of their time. Whereas you see others move on within that. I think it's going to be more as the sort of the academies continue to produce and get that output we're going to see more and more quality players there and there's less chances for guys to within their own province um to make it and i think it's just going to become more a fact of life that people will have to move not only just within interprovincial but i think outside the country as well if they want to do it and we've seen sort of um guys going to france etc on those deals as well straight out of the the sort of schools and i think that that may come into it as well yeah, it's going to be an interesting one to watch, all right, especially as uh, the season gets goes on, I suppose, and contract deals are made as the season goes on too. So funnily enough, folks, that's going to be it from us tonight. Funnily enough, it's probably our longest episode, despite the fact we only had one game to talk about over the last two weeks. But sure, look, these things happen. On behalf of myself, Owen and Tom, I'd like to say thanks a million for listening. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to get in touch with your thoughts and your comments and regards everything. Um, please feel free to share it on your social media pages and tell a friend it is genuinely the easiest way for the podcast to grow Gramina Mahagui as ocht eishtuchlin in ocht agus da suligum gamea ihe das agav in ocht kuma so folks agus gnairi libe